to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. You know, with with who I am um, and, and what and what we do with I'm Possible Training. I'm Possible Training. Um, we started about two years ago, um, and it's just been amazing what God has done with it. Um, you know, when we started off, it, it was it was more of a of a dream, and now it's become a, a reality to the sense that now we have customers and clients in, in 44 countries um, in all 50 states. Um, we have um, 22 locations um, nationwide right now where we have I'm Possible Training centers. Um, I forgot to mention earlier, one of them in which is going to be in, here in Austin. Um, and uh, it, it's just been amazing. We're in, we're in 10 states in our locations, and, and things are just growing, and things are moving. And, and really what I want to share today, and, and really you know, the passion of my heart in the title of this message is, I can do that. And, and, and I really want to just bring that across with, with a story. It's kind of my own parable that, you know, that, that I've developed over, over my journey of persistence and I'll certainly share my story about that. But I want to start things off um, with a story. Um, you know, before I do, you know, I think it's always important to make one thing clear. You know, when I, uh, whenever you get a chance to, to speak to a church and, 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 you, and you get to, to do things in this manner, the, you know, I did what, what most everyone would do. I call my mom. And, um, you know... And so I asked my mom, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm speaking at church, you know, what do you think? And she says, well, just make sure it's biblical. And, and, and to me, that was, that was so obvious. And I'm like, that's not helping me at all. Because, you know, and I immediately thought, you know, if I wasn't doing things biblical already, then, then what am I doing? You know, if what I'm telling to my athletes and to my players isn't matching up to the Bible, then I need to get a different profession. And, and so... You know, but it's so important as, as I tie in my experiences with basketball and life, and, and it, it's always got to be biblical, and there's nothing more biblical than persistence. And, and so, so what I want you to do is, is picture this story as we go and really attach images to it because I think that this will resonate with you no matter what it is that you're trying to do. And so I want you to picture there, there was a man who had a big dream. You know, he was captivated by it. He was captured by it. It's everything he's always wanted. And so he gets led into a room, and, he, he, and he's informed that he has one person and standing in his way between him and his dream, and he's in the room next door. And when he walks into his room, all he sees is this massive tree. He sees an axe, and he has instructions. The first man to cut down this tree will get their dream. And I want you to picture that, because that tree right now, you know, that's the dream. And and really, it starts off with having big, foolish dreams. You know, and and that should be so obvious to us as Christians. I mean, there's no more foolish people in the world than Christians. You know, when you think of the things that we believe, you know, it's unbelievable. It's foolishness. You know, that that, that there was a a worldwide flood, that a 90-year-old woman can give birth. You know, that that, that an army can march around a city and the walls will crumble. And what foolishness for us to believe that a virgin can give birth to a Savior. It's foolish. But we know it's true. But yet when we come down to our life and and, and our life's journey and what we're trying to accomplish, they can be little things compared to that, but we allow it to be foolishness. And we dismiss it. 
And, and so what I want to challenge us today is what big foolish dreams do you have? And, and so when we, when we look at the foolish dreams, I mean, my big foolish dream, when I first realized I had one, I was a freshman in high school. And a teacher pulled me aside, you know, lovingly with good expectations and tried to steer me in a different direction. You know, this sport's probably not for you. Let, let's, get you let's get you on a different task. You know, when you, when you look at the situation, and I made the joke earlier, I mean, if anything, it, what sport should I have been doing is I should have been a jockey. I should have been riding horses. You know, when I was a freshman in high school, I was 4 foot 11. You know, and, and, and as a 4 foot 11 freshman that really loved the game of basketball, and, but wanted to play college basketball, wanted a scholarship, and I, I wanted to play, in, play professionally, that was foolish. I was called crazy. And when I'm a sophomore in high school and I'm five foot two, still with that same dream, still working on my game, and I wanted to play college basketball, it was foolish. I was crazy. And finally, when I'm a junior at five foot six, you know, growing in stature, I mean, we're getting tall now. Still with that same big foolish dream, and I go on to, you know, play in my very first game on the varsity level, and I tear all the cartilage in my knee the first play of the game. And so at that time, you know, things really, you know, I was tested. You know, and, I, and, and, and when you tear the cartilage in your knee, that's, that's recoverable. You know, I didn't have to get any surgery, but I, I, I basically had to forfeit what could have been a good junior season. And so my big foolish dream was standing in front of me, you know, more clear than it's ever been that this was foolishness. You know, but as we move on, let's, let's go back to the man. And so he, he reads the note. He, he can already hear the guy next door starting. But he looks up at this tree, and this is massive, and he just realizes this is, this is a marathon. You know, this isn't going to be how fast I can pull this off. This is going to be how long I can last. This is persistence. And so he does what Abraham Lincoln w- w- would say. His favorite, favorite, um, famous quote is, if he had six hours to cut down a tree, he'd spend the first four hours sharpening his axe. And so he does the same. He sharpens his axe. And if we looked at this tree, the tree would be the dream, and the axe would be the plan. And, and so often when I, when I talk about dreams with, with athletes in particular, I the first point to their plan, not their dream, because dreams don't work. Dreams are ineffective. You know, but the, the thing that makes a dream a reality is the vision that goes with it. And so most of the time, people don't have a sharp axe. They haven't taken the point to actually have a plan, and that's when big foolish dreams remain big foolish dreams. And so he sharpens his axe. You know, and, and when, when I really developed my plan, you know, it was at that point in my, in my time when after I had those experiences and after I had tore all the cartilage in my knee, I got to the point where I had to make a decision. And I want to get this part of it out of the way so I can focus on the rest. But so, so as I was a junior and I'm going into my senior season, and I have this big foolish dream in front of me. I want to play college basketball. I had to make a decision. Was it just because I had setbacks and then I was short that I wasn't make it, that I, that I haven't made it yet? I haven't got my scholarship. Or was it because I wasn't good enough? And so I made the decision as a five foot nine senior in high school that that summer I was going to put eight hours a day in the gym, six days a week, and just dedicate myself to training and trying to figure this thing out. My dad was a wrestler. I didn't have coaches. I didn't know what I was doing. But I just knew that if I could spend some time there and really work and try to figure it out, maybe I could come up with something. And so for eight hours a day, I just put myself through pain. And that summer ended up being the, the foundational time where I was able to go from, from a nothing junior 
to, to be able to have 25 points of a game my senior season. I got my college scholarships. I went on to play professionally in the International Basketball League, was an all-star. And now, even though I didn't play in the NBA, I'm training NBA players. And everything started when I developed the plan. You know, one thing, you know, that, that I had, you know, that I've always grasped onto, and it's amazing what, what, whatever it is that you do, that, the truth of this, that there's always a promise that I grasp onto in Proverbs. And, and that promise is real clear. That if a man excels in his work, he'll stand before kings. And, and that's never been so true in my life that no matter what, and it could be the kings of basketball, but just being, just being excelling at my work, I've stood in front of the kings of business and the kings of this industry and the kings of that industry. And just in case we can't quite grasp that promise, just in case that's not quite there for us, we don't know what kings are, it follows that up by saying, you will not stand before unknown men. Just in case you weren't clear before. That the people that I will stand before will have influence. But excelling at your work starts with a plan. So the man sharpens his axe, and finally he's ready to start his journey and start chopping away. And, and he can hear his competitor still next door. And as he goes for a while, and he, and he can hear the struggle next door, and, he, and, he's, and he's on this journey, he starts to really realize that he could be up against a pretty good competitor. This guy could be bigger than him. He could be stronger than him. He could be more qualified. He could be outmatched. And, and this is where we come to the level of confidence. You know, and, and I challenge church and Christians with confidence because to me, confidence is weak right now for a lot of Christians that I see. And it's almost because we get confused. And I want to challenge you on this. We get confused and, and, and we, we want to be so humble. And we're afraid to be arrogant. We're afraid to be confident. You know, and, and, and really when it comes down to what humility, humility is, is, is and what arrogance is, is, arrogance has nothing to do with confidence. Arrogance has everything to do with just feeling and believing that you don't need God. You can be as confident as you want to be, as long as you know that God is still part of the equation. And so I see this a lot in basketball, specifically when I'm, when I'm talking to players, because I've always got to challenge them, you know, what is it that you want to do? And most of the time, you know, that I come across a, a confident athlete, and they'll say, I'm going to play at the University of North Carolina, or I'm going to play in the NBA. They'll have a loving, you know, good expect, I mean, uh, you know, good intention parent or, or friend or loved one that will say, honey, well, you hope that you'll play in the NBA. You know, don't say that you will. And we have that mentality, like there's something wrong with being confident and saying where you were going to go. And then the other side of it, I come across athletes that, that will say, you know, where do you want to play college basketball? And they'll, they'll lower their head. And, I want to play at University of Texas or Kansas. But there's not confidence. It's like they're ashamed of their goal and ashamed of their dream like it was just too foolish. And, and, and so that this, this level of confidence is something that we need to have maximum. We need to be known for supreme confidence. But the problem is we, we have, you know, good-intentioned, you know, what, what I call pinprickers. You know, I had them all growing up because I, shouldn't, I had no reason for being confident. And so as soon as my head got too big, here it comes, there's the pin. Don't, don't let them float away. And, and, and that may be you, and that, that being the pinpicker, or maybe you 
constantly getting the pins. But, but, but my, my hope is that we can start realizing what true confidence in, in, in God and, and what we can do through Jesus Christ really is, and that we stop picking, you know, picking people's heads and let them float away. Risk it. You know, and, and so if, if I was to bring this down, you know, this is a great example to me, Exodus 3.11. When, when Moses is, is first confronted with, with the fact that God is going to take him to, to free the Israelites, and he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And I think sometimes we look at that who am I, you know, statement of Moses, we say, wow, what a humble guy. And we know he was humble. But at the same time, that statement by Moses, I don't think glorified God one bit. It doesn't say God was glorified by him saying that. What glorifies God is the fact that it's true. Of course he's not qualified. But it has nothing to do with it. It would have been no problem for Moses to say, yes, Lord, I can't do this through you. And, so, and, that's, and that's where we're at in, in many of our stages. You know, so often, and, and I just constantly go this back to basketball because it's such a, a clear explanation of this. You know, and this is coaches. It could be any sport, anything that you're doing. We almost have this, this problem with the word can't. You know, a, a player says, oh, I can't do this. And the coach says, that word should never be in your dictionary. Don't say can't. Can't is a bad word. And, and my thing is, no, it's not. Can't is true. Can't is truth. There are plenty of things that I can't do as long as I can put after it yet. And, and so when, when athletes say, I can't, I say, you're right. Let's go on the journey of how you can. And so I have no problem. If anything, I'm going to show them their can'ts so they can realize what they have standing in front of them. And it's the same thing in whatever you're doing. You're going to have your can'ts, but can'ts don't disqualify you. Recognize them. Acknowledge them. I can't do this, but I can figure out how. And so, so often when, when I started I'm Possible, that the first thing, like I said on, on this topic, is that people would say, well, that's a kind of an arrogant company name. I'm Possible. It's a team sport. You know, and, and, but to me, it came down to the level of, you know, I've always, you know, been amazed by obviously any word that Jesus says, but the fact that he compared faith to a mustard seed, and I don't really relate to a mustard seed. I know it's small, but I don't really, I don't get that. That's not, that doesn't get in my head. And so to me, if I was to retranslate that, I would say faith is the size of an apostrophe. And really, what the only thing that separates the impossible from the possible is the faith the size of an apostrophe. That if I can take God and I can put him smack dab in the middle of my impossible, all of a sudden, that becomes I'm possible. And to me, that's the confidence that we need as Christians and believers in the church. People need to see our confidence in that way. And so as the man begins to, to chop away at that tree and, and he continues his journey, you know, he does what everyone should be doing. He starts, you know, eyeing that same spot and he makes sure he just hits that spot. Hits that spot. Hits that spot. He's meticulous. But as he eyes that spot and he can hear the man next door anguishing and, he's, and, he, and you know, the pain he can see, this guy's going at it and he's competing with him. He starts to look at that same spot and he starts to see, man, he's not making it very far. Chunks are coming out, but not big enough chunks. You know, he's got a long way to go. This tree is still strong. And so as he looks at this tree, he realizes 
that this feat might even not be possible. And that's where mental toughness comes into our play. Um, I, I use this example so often, and, and I apologize to any non-basketball fans in here, but I, I think you're seeing the translation. There was a coach, former coach of the Phoenix Suns, his name was Alvin Gentry. And he had a quote about a guy that you might know, Steve Nash. And, and Steve Nash um, was a two-time MVP. But yet when Coach Gentry was asked about him, he'd say, Steve Nash is a great player, but I would never teach any player to play like Steve Nash. And that, when I saw that, I, it, it kind of blew my mind. I'm, I'm like, this is a two-time MVP. Why would we not be teaching players how to play like him? I don't understand it. But really what it comes down to is that when we look at a guy like Steve Nash who does things differently, he might so-called do things wrong. He doesn't do things the way they should be done. And so we look at a guy like Steve Nash and we just count him out. Oh, he's just a natural. He's just blessed. He's gifted. So that's why we don't teach people to play like Steve because he's just a gifted, natural athlete. And it's so often, it's easy for us to look at other people and say that they're naturals. That that's then, that won't work for me. And that's when our mental toughness has to be at its best. Now, I often, I often tell people that that works for me. Because, it, you know, it's been amazing what God has been able to do because people can relate to me. I mean, you know, the things that I can now do with a basketball, pretty much there should be no one in here that, that can look up at that screen and say, well, I can't do that. Because you can see, I mean, who am I? If I put in the work and, and it's worked, so can you. If anything, I'm proof that anybody can do what I can do. But if I was to take a guy like LeBron James and I was to bring him in here, we would look at LeBron and, and we would have no faith from LeBron that we could be like LeBron. If we brought Michael Jordan in here, we would have no faith that we could have been Michael Jordan or whatever, whatever industry it might be. But because I've been blessed to be so small and so relatable, people have faith that they wouldn't get from that. And so I want to challenge our imaginations. You know, I recently read a study and research that showed that as we get older, our imaginations get replaced with logic. Um, you know, I, I often use the story of my son. I mean, I, I've been amazed at the imagination. I have a four-year-old son and a one-year-old. There's almost two. You know, and, and um, you know, when we get them a car, we put them in their hand. We don't have to teach them what a car even does. His imagination takes it and he starts driving. You know, the imagination is there. I put an action figure in his hand, and he knows what to do with it. He starts fighting. I lay on the floor. He knows what to do. He jumps on my face. He knows in his imagination that I'm, invisible. I'm invincible. His imagination is there. But what happens as we get older, scientifically, they're starting to see that, that we start losing less of the imagination side, and we start losing more of the logic side. And if we're not careful, that can be dangerous spiritually. Because we start to do everything through logic. And when I, when I brought the, we recently bought the, boy, the boys to the park. And we're in North Carolina. It's warm there. But my wife is on top of things. I mean, she's making sure that those kids are warm. And so she, she never, under, you know, to always making sure that they have coats and that they're good to go. But in this particular day, we completely messed it up. We thought it was going to be much warmer than it was. And so we brought them to the park, and, and we're out there, and we're freezing. The wind is cold. The boys don't have coats on. Snot is dripping down their face. Their hands are like icicles. But yet they're the happiest two boys ever running through that playground. 
And we're just in awe of it. Because to them, their imaginations overtake their logic. They're so happy to be there that they don't even, they don't even look at their situation. And yet, here we are as adults, just like we can't even enjoy it. And, and then, you know, and I relate to the same thing. I mean, I used to be able to swim in pools. I've never been a great swimmer, but at least I could get in some cold water. But now I get to the water and, and I put my toes in first. And then I might go to my ankles. And I go to my knees. And by that time, I've given up. I've gone back and laid in the sun and let everyone else swim. But there was something that's happened. I, it used to not bother me, but now my logic takes over. And, and this is too cold. And that, that, that's so dangerous for us because we start to be people that calculate our odds and we, and we, and we calculate our chances. You know, what, what, what I would want you to see is that if you really calculate your chances, you're going to find out you don't have one. And if you really figure your odds, you're going to be the odd one out. But if you're really willing to ignore that logic and really start attaching onto the imagination of your faith and what you're trying to accomplish, you're going you're to be able to do so many more things that logic can give you. And so as we get to the last part of the story, you know, the man's cutting down his tree, he's chopping away. And, and, and he can still hear the guy next door just, just grunting and groaning. I mean, he's going after it. His hands are bloody and bleeding. And he can hear the guy and, and his pace picks up, like the pace that you know when someone's close knocking down that tree. If he's going this fast, he knows it's coming down soon. And so he starts to look at his progress and there's nothing there. And eventually he gets to the point where he's, he's going to give up. And he stops putting in the same effort. And all of a sudden, he hears what he never wanted to hear. The tree next door comes crashing down. And this was a man who did everything right. He, did it, he, he had his plan. He sharpened his axe. He had a vision. He meticulously hit that same spot. And he heard this other tree come crashing down. And so he... He rushes over to that to the room, you know, and I say rush, I mean he's probably pretty tired. He he gets there. And when he walks in, he he sees the man, you know, and he's the same size as him. It's the same strength. He wasn't any bigger. There was nothing different between between him and the man that beat him. But there was one little thing. As he went in to congratulate him for winning the dream, the guy reached up. And he pulled off his blindfold. You know, and so often, we forget this part of persistence. You know, sometimes it's so easy to say that success is like chopping down a tree. One chop at a time. But success is nothing like that. Because the problem with that analogy is when you chop down a tree one chop at a time, you can see every part of your progress. You can see every chip that comes out. You can see every dent. You know, when I'm, when I'm going on a, on a trip, when I'm driving somewhere a long distance, and I hate driving, I will fly any day of the week. I hate driving long distances. But the thing that gets me through long distances are those mile markers. I got 300 miles, 200 miles, 80 miles, I'm close. And that gets me through. But that's nothing realistic to our journey in persistence. You know, success is nothing like chopping down a tree one chop at a time. Success is everything like chopping down a tree one chop at a time, blindfolded. And if you can get comfortable in the darkness of your faith, 
comfortable in the darkness of your persistence, when progress is rarely visible, then you're going to start to be able to see some breakthroughs. You know, in, um, in Africa, there, there's, there's a tribe that hunts monkeys. And, and so the way they get the, the monkey, you know, is they, they take a carton and they cut a hole in the carton and they put a, a prize in there, which is a nut that the monkey loves. And so they make that, that hole just the size, right? So when the monkey puts his hand and he grabs a hole of the nut and he tries to pull it out, it can't come out. The monkey can no longer get his fist out, but that monkey, they know, will never let go. And so then the tribe comes and they beat the monkey over the head with sticks. And that's the way we need to be. We need to be like monkeys grabbing hold of nuts. And I know that's a weird analogy right now, but, but I'm going to bring you through, through to the end. The thing that happens when we grab a hold of whatever it is that we want and we're holding on, we start getting beat over the head. We could have had the right plan. We could have had the right type of work ethic. We could have done everything right. But in the blind times of being get hit over the head, we let go. And we need to be like that monkey who grabs a hold and is not going to let go. And even though it feels like we might be beaten to death, we know that the scripture and the Bible and Jesus promises that if we'll hold on, we don't have to have the fate of a monkey. That if we hold on, eventually the beating will stop and we can make it through. You know, ever since, you know, the end of, you know, of being able to accomplish my basketball goals, I've always ran into more, more impossibles. You know, after I made it to college, I was going to be too small to play in college, and it was the still same impossible dream. You're not going to play pro. And after I played pro, you know, it's the same thing. You're, there's nothing to do after here. You're done. And it's amazing the first time I got involved with an NBA guy, and, you know, I was going to work him out, and he was expecting somebody to walk in the gym. And when he saw me walk in the gym, he was like, this can't be the who's working me out today. And it's always just been this constant battle with, with things that just shouldn't make any sense. But the one thing that I've been blessed through this journey is just to have that understanding that if I can keep my faith in the darkness and in the blindness, eventually I'm going to have that breakthrough. But if you forget that, that darkness is a part of faith, if you forget that Jesus said that faith was blind, if you forget that that's a part of your journey then you're going to get too caught up in looking at the results and your progress. And then logic will take over. And then more than likely, it's time to walk away and focus on something else. You start to assume that you climbed up the wrong ladder. And so what, what my, my main message, if I, if I can encourage you with one thing, out of all those different things that you can do, you know, persistence is a no-lose proposition. There is no pressure. The worst thing that can happen to a persistent person is that they haven't won yet. You know, I, the, 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 the initial part of this when I started figuring this out is if that's where I'm needing to go and that's where I'm putting my faith on, I'm going to get to that point. Nobody can ever tell me that I've failed. If I take a step here and stop, I haven't failed yet because I'm not done on my journey. If I, as long as I keep moving forward, no one can ever say that I have lost because I still have more room to go. 
And it might be 70 years. It could be 60 years to get something that you want. But as long as you don't hold on, they don't give up. It's amazing what can happen. Now, I recently read a book that challenged that a lot of times people's prayers don't even get answered now. Their prayers might be answered for their children. But because they never gave up, those can come to fruition. And so it's amazing what we can do when we can stop focusing on the results and start focusing on keeping faith in the darkness. You can have the dream. You can have the plan. You can have the confidence. You can have the mental resolve. But if you can't handle the darkness and the blindness of the journey, that stuff doesn't matter. That's the missing link of faith. And if you can keep that in your mind, there's nothing wrong with those dark times as long as we keep our eyes on the light. And that light isn't promised to us in the darkness. And if you can keep that in your mind, and I, I just... I want to encourage you with that. Whatever it is you're trying to do. You could be a 60-year-old dreamer. You could be a 70-year-old dreamer, an 80-year-old dreamer. As long as you keep dreaming, dreaming, that breakthrough is always there. And we're setting examples for the Christian church and, 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 and people who believe in Jesus when we do so. That we're, we're encouraging, just like the stories we read in the Bible of things that shouldn't have happened that happened. That when we can accomplish something and we can have the I'm possible faith. It's amazing what can happen. You know, I'll close with this really quickly. And I, I think, Pastor, did I skip over Jim Carrey? I think I missed it, and I need to say it. When I, I first saw Jim Carrey do a stand-up routine, and um, he was at the, uh, the, the comedy shop, and I, I don't really, I'm not familiar with, with stand-up comedy too much, but... You know, that was where he was at. And it was a place where he had always, you know, dreamed of going. And so when he first got there and he had always watched people on TV, you know, he, he referenced people like Richard Pryor and um, Robin Williams, the people that he would see and he'd watch. And he would watch them and he would say, I can do that. And at first I was blown away. I'm like, what is going on? Like, you know, that is, that is some crazy confidence. But my challenge to you as believers is that you have to have a, I can do that, mentality. <laughs> Whatever it is that you want to do, if Jim Carrey can have confidence with, without faith in God, then how much greater can your confidence be in yourself with him? So my challenge is, whatever you see, if you can have an I can do that mentality, and you take God and you place him as your apostrophe, and you start saying, I'm possible in everything I do with him, you're going to see amazing things accomplished in your life, and you're going to be a glory to the church of God. Thank you very much. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.